Good afternoon, church. Amen. I'll get it. Resurrection is happening. Resurrections are happening. Right before our very eyes. In fact, in our very eyes. Eyes that have been downcast. Heavy. Cloudy. Afraid of the light. Afraid of seeing. Afraid of being seen. Cautious. Careful. Tired. 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 Shoulders that have been too heavy. But eyes that have become lighter. Shoulders that have become lighter. You might be sitting next to one of these people. You might be asking, what's your secret? What's going on in your life? What's happening? Resurrections are happening. Resurrections are happening, and the invitation is to behold, to behold the resurrections that God is doing among us. We've been taking note of these over the past few weeks as a church. We've been writing our longings for resurrection on that side. The places where we're saying, God, will you please show up? My eyes are still cloudy, Lord. I can't see. My shoulders are still laboring for this, Lord. Will you provide? But on this side, we've been riding the places where we've seen God show up already. Behold, God's provision showing up right on time. Maybe not right on my time, but right on God's time. Behold, resurrected friendship. Behold, Jonathan. Amen. Behold, revival in my faith and life to be the person that God made me in love. Behold, a place to be known here with true familia, to heal biological familial wounds. Mm. Do you see it? Do you yet perceive it? God is doing a new thing. Behold, resurrections are happening. Little openings of heart and community. Healing childhood wounds. Hope for relationships. My brothers return to our family. Resurrections are happening. Kim's text after seven years. Kim's text after seven years. Resurrections are happening. Do we see it? Do we yet perceive it, that God is moving, that God is doing, that God is here, that God is now? What I want to talk about this afternoon, though, are not the resurrections we always see. And they're not just the ones we miss, because there's a naivete or an innocence about those. Sometimes we're busy. Sometimes we just needed someone to come and just shift our attention just a little bit. Sometimes we just haven't stopped to write them down. God's been doing them, we just haven't paused to receive it. I'm not talking about the ones we've seen. 
And I'm not talking about the ones we've forgotten to see. What I'm talking about today are the times where plans have deliberately been made not to see resurrection. I'm talking about when plans have been put in place to deliberately ignore the resurrection that have been taking place. But pastor, who would make plans not to see resurrection power? Who would do that? Who's foolish enough to do that? How about those who are threatened by resurrection power? Because the power of new life might threaten the life they already have. And the life they already have may come with a power and a privilege all its own. Resurrection power, life abundant power, eternal power, it invites surrender from us. It invites sacrifice from us. And in so doing, it can threaten our grip of power our grasp of power. And so the invitation to simply receive resurrection power, well, it's good and all, but it comes at a cost. And it is a cost that we are not always willing to pay. God may be doing a new thing, but we may kind of like the old thing. Even if the old thing's been no good to us. It's at least familiar to us. And we're not sure about the wild where God may be leading us along the way. Let's pray. God, would you invite us to have the courage to hear your word anew today? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Your son, Jesus, this is the language he said. If those would have eyes to see, ears to hear, you are moving the question is, do our eyes yet see it? Do we yet perceive it? You're speaking. The question is, do we hear it? Are we listening? And the question we must ask in our hearts and in our feet is, will we follow? Will we follow you, God, today? I pray that our simply showing up is not the end to our yes today to you, but it's the beginning of our yes. That we showed up, that we're willing to hear. And so, God, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Today, we're going to look at three ways that we practice not seeing resurrection. And here is the first way. The first way that we practice not seeing resurrection is that we want to be seen as right more than we want to see the truth. If this is true of the person next to you, just nudge him in the elbow and let him know, like, I'm a witness in your life. I can testify. This is true about you. Definitely not about me, but it's true about you. I see it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27, and then we'll move over to 28. So if you want to follow along, we'll start in verse 62. Jesus has been taken to the cross. He has given up his body and breath. He has been placed in a tomb. And then we come to the next day. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they went to Pilate, the governor of the land at this time. Sir, they said, we remember that while Jesus was still alive, that deceiver said, 
Notice they've already made their mind up about who this Jesus is. We remember that while Jesus was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, Jesus' disciples may come and steal the body and then tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. Now, this last deception will be worse than the first. We want to be seen as right more than we want to see the truth. This is a way that we practice not seeing the resurrection. These leaders, the collusion of church and state, the religious leaders among, the governing leaders among, collude and come together. And they weren't concerned with the truth. They were concerned with being right. They were concerned with the truth when they brought Jesus to court, asking to say his name and what he had done. They didn't have ears to hear. They weren't concerned with the truth when they asked the crowd for their ruling. Who do you want to go to that cross? They weren't concerned with the truth when they nailed the truth to a tree. They weren't concerned with the truth when they gave orders to seal this tomb shut. They had already made their mind up. Jesus was that deceiver. And the last deception would be worse than the first. The last deception would be worse than the first. Oh, if only they knew how right they were. The next deception would be surely far worse. Because Jesus' first deception in their eyes, causing a rugged, ragged band of disciples that he was uh, truly the Son of God, convincing them to believe that he really was that. Oh, that deception. Look where it led. Well, that led to Jesus put on a cross. We took his life. We sealed him up shut in the tomb. And then the disciples all sealed themselves away somewhere else. Scared, worried, afraid, shattered, crushed, despaired, afraid for their very lives, denying their affiliation with the one who they had given their lives to. But if Jesus' body were to raise from the dead, oh, that would be worse than the first. That would be far worse than the first. Can you say worse than the first? Yes. Turn to your neighbor and say worse than the first. Because if Jesus' body could defeat death, it would mean death got no sting. If Jesus' body could rise out of a man-sealed tomb, it would mean man's got no power to tomb Jesus away. Is somebody with me? If Jesus' disciples could see a risen Savior then it must mean a risen saving power is available and available to all. And that would be no good to those already in possession of power. Worse than the first indeed. And if all this were to be true, well, these leaders, they wanted none of it. Why? Because they only wanted to be right. We want to be seen as right more than we want to see the truth. We want our story to be right. We want our plan to be right. We want our power to be right. Because holding on to rightness, 
And being seen as right? Yep. Well, that gives us our right to power in this world. I was serving as the co-lead pastor of our former church back in Arkansas. We had this custom where if you'd been sent away to seminary, when you came home for one summer, we'd invite you to preach in the pulpit. Tell us how you're doing, what's going on. Give us a word. Let's see all the fancy Greek and Hebrew you've been learning. Go ahead and blast it out on your home church. <laughs> My mentor had come back and done it. I had come back and done it. And Captain Ed advocated for me because they kind of forgot to give me the invitation to come back and do it. But she was on staff and she said, no, sh come on. So I returned the favor. And when I was on staff back at the church after seminary, I said, well, we, we should invite Inez to come home. She's in sunny California. Um, when she comes home with her family, we should invite her into the pulpit this summer. She had spoken in that pulpit. In the, she had taught in that pulpit. She had preached in that pulpit before. Multiple times, in a variety of contexts and settings. But as we presented this to the elder board, new power had begun to shift in that room. In a vacancy of older, familiar power, there was a gap. And when there's a gap for power, somebody's going to take it. Right. Unless you give 10 feet for Jesus to take it. <laughs> They're going to take it themselves. So we voted unanimously. It took some fasting. It took some prayer. It took some conversations. It took multiple weeks, more than it should have. But the room unanimously voted to bring Inez back to come and speak and teach where she had once stopped before. There was a word that she had to be introduced as a teacher now, or a speaker now, not as an ordained pastor that she had been. I'm not going to reveal how many years to that point. I'm just guarding, guarding your age at this point. <laughs> but when she preached that Sunday, when the pastora took the pulpit that Sunday, Younger and older folks, women and men, people of different races and ethnicities. When she closed that word and opened space for people to respond, one by one by one, folks flooded to the altar. I mean, grown men with calloused hammer hands in tears. Why? Because the spirit of the living God had fallen upon that place. Because as the pastor was in tune with the word, in tune with the people, moved by the spirit, the people responded and followed the flow of the spirit in that space. And they came and they simply said yes to the resurrection power that God was doing in the room in that moment. And so rightfully so, the next day, another elder in the church had to send an email to correct what had taken place the day before. He was one of those who told us very clearly, oh, you have my blessing, but only if she only teaches and doesn't preach. Well, what had happened is, Inez was in her intro, she was feeling herself, she was connecting with the congregation, she's doing that thing where the intro is now, are we still in the intro? <laughs> you know, like, oh, it's more minutes. Um, that has happened to the best of us. She said, oh, no, no, I got a sermon to preach. I mean, teach. She even had to check herself as she was trying to code switch into the categories of the room that were taking place. 
And she did, she did, she caught herself, and I grieved that she even had to. But the man who was so upset about her using the word preach, do you know how he began his email? Let me just tell you, God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> the Lord will speak through donkeys. This in the scripture. I need to write this email because I'm concerned about what Inez preached yesterday. <laughs> Let that sit there for just a moment. Was the man interested in seeing the truth? Or was he interested in being right? Was he interested in not only being right, but being seen as right? Coming as an authority. Not an authority to the movement that God had done in that room the day before. Not an authority to the flow and the movement and the resurrection power that had happened among us as younger and older and women and men came on their knees with tears in their eyes. Not in a response to the beautiful, powerful word you gave. But the beautiful, powerful word you gave in tandem with the movement of God and the Spirit, together in unison, the room said yes to what God was doing. But this man, this man was so committed to rightness, the allure of it, the power of it, that he was closed off to seeing resurrection power and beholding truth. His commitment to being right outweighed his willingness to behold truth. So why would we do that? Because rightness is controllable. We get to determine it. We get to shape it. We get to put it in our box. But the truth, the truth is, is a living and active word. It's a wild word. Right. And God's spirit is untamable. We can't, we can't put that in a box. Man. And this might change us or transform us in ways that we're not comfortable with. Yeah. Rightness, we get to choose that box. Right. We often build it ourselves. We're afraid of the truth. We can't handle the truth. It's there for you. <laughs> we want to be seen as right more than we want to see the truth. Let's continue. Verse 64. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, Jesus' disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that Jesus has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. So, I would say... Take a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Here's the second way we choose not to see the resurrection. We build up barriers for our beliefs. And we secure ourselves so we won't be shaken. We build up barriers for our beliefs. And we secure ourselves so we won't be shaken. The first concept, the first idea 
about rightness and truth. Those are about ideas. Don't be deceived by the idea of who Jesus says he is. Don't be deceived by the idea or the truth that women are called and equipped to be pastors and preachers. The second is about making a sheltered place for those ideas to stay. I would say live, but these are tombs that we make, not soil. These are sheltered places for these ideas to stay, impenetrable fortresses that no one and no thing, not even a move of God, could shift. And here's the irony. We think we're protecting somebody or something that what we built was a barrier for protection and security. The, the walls, the barricades, the barriers. We built, in essence though, not a home, but a tomb. And what's inside is already empty. And it still smells like that. Wow. Scriptures tell us that they secured the tomb best as they knew how. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. I hope you know better how to do that than I do. <laughs> they sealed it. They posted a guard. They did a good job. But then, it says, after Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went to look at the tomb, and there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and then sat on it. They were prepared for everything except dawn. They weren't prepared for the sunrise. Because with the sunrise came a rising of the sun. They weren't prepared for the dawn. Because with the dawn came not only a new day, but a new way, a new power, a new life, a new resurrection. Oh, they were prepared. They did a good job. Best as they knew how. And then did y'all check the guards? They were so afraid of everything that they shake and become like dead men themselves. Those who were put in place to guard the dead become like dead themselves. And this angel just flexes, y'all. I'm talking, rolled back the stone and then just sat on it. What's up? What y'all did was cute. Oh, Ikea instructions. Yeah, that'll get you. That'll get you. They secured the tomb best as they knew how. But who sits on a rolled back stone? The appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And in their dying themselves, I wonder if they were confronted with their idolatry. The idolatry of their own security. They had made security their idolatry. 
they thought they could not be moved by a move of God. But just because we try to build walls around resurrection, it doesn't mean resurrection can't still happen. Resurrection walks through walls. Resurrection tears down walls. Resurrection moves walls out of the way and then hops up and has a seat. Resurrection is itself a proclamation that no walls, no thing, no one can hold me down. No barriers, no laws, no cross, no nails, no tomb, no guards, no thing, nothing, no one. We build barriers to show how big we are. God moves them away, sits back down on the throne to show us how big God is. We build barriers, though. We try. Best we know how. But resurrection still happens. God still is in the business of rolling stones away. You see, you can try to silence the voices of my sisters, women in this room and beyond this room. But nevertheless, she preaches. You can try to blanket our AAPI sisters and brothers in a shroud of invisibility. All in the unholy pursuit of white supremacy. But your sealed shut tomb has no hold on the hand of God. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear and you're awake at all, the voices of our AAPI sisters and brothers, they're not only rising up now, they've been rising up from generation upon generation upon generation upon generation. It's not their voices that were voiceless. It's our eyes that we're unwilling to see. It's the shrouds of invisibility that we were putting upon our siblings. But if you pay attention to the movement of God, from cover to cover in our book, God has been moving in the margins since the beginning. It's cute how y'all make the center. I don't live there. Life moves on the margins. Tell me where my Jesus was born. Tell me where my Jesus was raised up. Tell me where John the Baptist took this man to be baptized. Tell me where God moves. God moves in the margins. And so that's why as a church we say the margins are our middle. Life springs up not from the center but from the sides. We can try to maintain our perfectly curated theologies and beliefs. And there is a help to building a framework for what we believe in. Putting them together, having a semblance of sanity as we try to hold the great mystery of all of this. The thoughts and the principles that we like and understand and the ones that we're not sure we like. We are sure we don't understand them. We try to seal those shut in a tomb. But if God moves among us, in us, through us, around us, and we try to still hold it all together how we always once had, good luck. 
Let me make it a little bit more personal. We can try to protect ourselves from opening up again in real relationship. Vulnerable, intimate, sacrificial, generous love. We've been hurt before. We sealed that tomb shut. Good luck rolling that stone. But if lightning strikes and God moves, will you walk out of the tomb? We can try to keep ourselves from doing the brave, bold thing, the move of God thing that I never, ever, ever, ever would have chosen to do this thing. But if God rolls away the stone, we would be fools to try and roll it back. And then to do so, to do so, we'd have to move an angel off the stone in the first place. Because that angel didn't move. The angel is still sitting there on that stone like a throne, saying, I'm here to proclaim the majesty among us. You have now stepped into the king of kings glory land. God's moving here. The stone becomes a throne. We celebrate the majesty of resurrection. So why would we choose not to pursue this resurrection? Why would we get in the way of this? Because we can make an idolatry out of our security. Because we're committed to our comfort. And we're more committed to that than beholding the move of God among us. The move of God scares us. Our stability becomes our God. But anything we built isn't big enough, good enough, stable enough, secure enough, powerful enough, loving enough, generous enough, sacrificial enough. Only God is. Only the movement of God is. And so why are we still protecting the sealed shut tombs of our lives? The places that hold no life, the places that hold no power, the empty places, the closed off places, Places that we've kept from being open to God moving. As Pastora reminded us on that Easter Resurrection Sunday, where are we seeking the living among the dead? And still going back to those dead places. There's some alternate universe, some multiverse maybe, <laughs> where I'm solo leading a white church. Pastora Inez is solo leading a brown church. And there were crossroads to say yes to that. But those invitations didn't feel like resurrection power to us today. And so when God rolled stones to invite the two of us to lead together, and an angel then sat down on the throne and said, I'm not moving, we still had an invitation to say no but we would have been saying no to resurrection power moving yeah. among us. Now, is this way easier? Show me the person who says yes, I'll show you a fool. This was not easier. Was it better? Is it better? Yeah. Yeah, God is still in the business of rolling away the stones of all the tombs that we've secured along the way. 
the invitation is to say yes to the movement of God, even as it terrifies us. All right, let's move on to our last piece. The angel of God then, right in front of everybody, uh, begins to speak to women who've shown up at the tomb. Begins to tell them, this Jesus has risen from the dead. Go and tell all of the disciples that he has risen. Go and do it. The women, they hurry away from the tomb. They're afraid yet filled with joy. Yes, they are. I sure would have been. They ran to tell the disciples. And Jesus meets them on the way. Greetings, he says. They came to him. They clasped his feet. They worshipped him then and there. Their first ever Easter service happened in the in-between on the outside. Then Jesus reminds him, yes, don't be afraid. Go and tell the brothers to go to Galilee. And there they're going to see me too. We shift our scene back to the guards, though. Those who have made plans not to see the resurrection. Verse 11 of chapter 28. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city, and they reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. I think they told the truth. I think they had a testimony. I think they had seen a resurrection. And they told everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, if they had to come up with a plan, what does that tell you? It tells you they couldn't just handle the truth. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money. You want to see a pursuit of power? Show me the money. And they then tell them, notice who has authority, they tell them what to say. You are to say, as they put their cover-up plan in place, his disciples came during the night, they stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, it will satisfy him, it will keep you out of trouble. If you can appease those who are already in power. You can keep your security along the way. So the soldiers, they took the money. They did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated since. I believe the guards are innocent of it all until they take the money. They were doing their job. They came back and told a resurrectionist encounter. Here's what happened. But as the power shifted in that room, shifted from saying yes to resurrection power, and shifted instead to saying no to our power instead. Follow the money, follow the governing authorities, follow the leadership. I believe we're innocent of it all until we take the money. Here's the third landing, please. The third way we choose to say no to resurrection is we choose to exercise our own power rather than say yes to resurrection power. We choose to exercise our own power rather than to say yes to resurrection power. These leaders, the church and the states, they are most interested in their own pursuits of their own power because it's a power that protects them as a people. It's a power that protects their privilege. 
their access, their opportunity, their governing authority. Unless we think this is just an about people like that, fill in our corresponding news network. Is this a word that could also cut us too? What about even those as innocent as the disciples? Acts 1.6, it told us this a couple weeks ago. We hopped, skipped, and jumped, and we came right back to it today. The disciples, they gathered around the resurrected Christ. And as they gathered around him in Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 6, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples' question is a power for a people question. It's a nationalism question. Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Not are you bringing your kingdom, Lord. It's an are you going to make Israel great again question. Nationalism is birthed in the innocent pride of patriotism. There's a good pride to patriotism. The Filipino roots, Nicaraguan roots, the Korean roots. There's a beautiful patriotism. I'm a, I'm a soccer fan since birth. You show me the World Cup, I might tear up. The flags, the colors, the languages, the different styles of play, the patriotism, the paint, all of it. I almost regret to say I tried to schedule youth group trips around the World Cup in my younger days as a youth pastor. The gospel is important. It will still happen. It cannot happen for a whole month in the summer. Nationalism is birthed in patriotism. But it's the pride part of the patriotism that can become poisoned. And so this nationalism, even our disciples who are aiming to restore the kingdom of Israel, when the pride becomes poisoned and fear fuels the way. It is a concern for your people, but it's a what to do with that concern and then how to hold on to it and hoard it. It's birthed in pride that has been poisoned and then fueled by fear. We can have compassion even on nationalism. If we can see where it was birthed in patriotism, but somewhere along the way, the pride got poisoned. And then fear fueled the way. Last weekend, my son, Abe, who's been mountain biking this year, has just changed his life. He is just coming to life right before our very eyes. And he has these mountain biking races and tournaments. And in one of the practices um, several months ago, we were up in the Arrowhead Big Bear area riding around and we saw all these flags that said, let's go Brandon. And my children began to ask me what that means. What's let's go Brandon? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe there's somebody named Brandon that they're supporting and cheering in this town. But then I began to see them away from that town. I began to see them on the heights in Eden Canyon, Easter weekend as a church, and to see them on bumper stickers. 
began to see them set up on sidewalks where they were selling a lot of other things. And I began to look at the history of what Let's Go, who was Brandon? And I began to learn that Let's Go Brandon was spoken at a Trump rally. And it wasn't Let's Go Brandon. It was F. Joe Biden. But a commentator listening in thought they were saying Let's Go Brandon. And so this side of nationalism picked up this mistake and began to use it as their way to say what they really wanted to say in an acceptable way. Unless you took the time and the work to go find out what was happening. And so we're riding um, in this race a week ago. And I, my heart, I don't know. I'm just going to start there. We're riding and this four-year-old screams, let's go, Brandon! And I turned around and I said, really? <laughs> and Abe goes, Dad, I think his brother's name is Brandon. <laughs> and he just covers his face and keeps on riding. As I have spoken truth to power. <laughs> Put that four-year-old in his place. This week, though, as I was driving, I saw an old white man. I usually say older to be polite. <laughs> Age and years had not been kind to this man. He was old. Had a big gray beard. An old red hat. That red hat. I began to wonder at what point in his life did he buy into the lie? Or was it just an aggression on his face to wear um, the robe of Let's Go Brandon, to, to wear the robe of a red hat that you know many of your neighbors will be hurt and afraid of? And as I began to ask God, what is saying yes to resurrection power? look like in this moment other than rolling down my minivan window and saying something else to not a four-year-old. And I began to sense the resurrection power in this moment might simply be saying yes to compassion on a man who believed and practiced life so differently than I do. I didn't have to say anything to him. I could just keep driving on. But resurrection power presenting itself to me in that moment was an invitation of compassion that the Spirit put upon my heart. I wonder if resurrection power often chooses us. I wonder if it is God who continually rolls away the stone and God who invites us to say yes to what God is doing, as God rolled away a stone in my heart in that moment. And the invitation, not the obligation, but the invitation to saying yes to resurrection power, in that moment for me was simply to say yes to compassion. I began to wonder what, what this man's story is, what this man's life was, where at some point had this been presented as a good life, as a good way to care for your neighbors. 
as a good way to express warmth and generosity to others. I had other thoughts as I drove by that man. But in the opportunity of receiving resurrection power, I recognized that I would simply need to say yes to kindness, yes to compassion, yes to a heart that will continue to stay tender, even in the face of difference. Resurrection power chooses us. We just have to choose to go with it. We have to choose to say yes to it. Now, sometimes your most sanctified self, keep the windows rolled up, keep driving, move along. Not today, Jesus. <laughs> but other times, you might feel the resurrection choosing you, and it might feel like sorrow. Not pity. I didn't pity this man. The Spirit put compassion upon my heart for this man. Do you hear the difference? I wondered where in his journey, where in other folks' lives who have chosen a poison pride, fear fueling the way, where'd that story originate? What happened along the way? Have they ever met Josh? Have they ever encountered Sarah's? They ever met a Shirley? I don't think they've met a Shirley. Life might look different. Have they ever sat in a church where Patrick Hugh gave a testimony? Life might look different, if so. The invitation was to simply say yes. These are invitations of what not to do. They're invitations of how to say no to resurrection. To say no is to pursue our own way. To say no is to pursue our own rightness. To say no is to try to secure it along the way best as we know how. To say no is to exercise power that benefits us. Power that privileges us. Power that is not concerned with the other, whoever our other may be. But resurrection power as God rolls away stones in our lives, whatever shapes those stones may look like, it looks like Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, our Jesus made himself nothing. And he took the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death he said yes to even death on a cross. Therefore, Jesus didn't have to raise himself back up. All he had to do was say yes to the lowering. And as he said yes, the spirit of resurrection power took over in his life. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Therefore, God gave Jesus the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I thought I wrote so elitist in a song. 
And as she's doing, I give you an opportunity to continue to ask God for the longings of your heart and resurrection. God, I long to see resurrection. I'm not saying no to it. In fact, my yes is so open that I want to see more of it. God, will you continue to show up? There's Sharpies over there if you want to write longings for resurrection. And if you want to say yes to the resurrection that God has already done, and you want us to hold that with you as a faith familiar, there's a space over here to continue to say, Behold, God is raising dead things back to life. Behold, God is growing compassion in places that I didn't think possible.